I want to thank Lisa Yoder for putting together that Pentecost uh, montage of languages from all over the world to, to kind of give us a sense of um, how amazing Pentecost was for a group of uneducated fishermen and a few others to be able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to affect the world in such a way that 2,000 years later, we'd be sitting in this place. This is a day of celebration. In fact, we're at a season of celebration. Not only is it Pentecost, two weeks ago, we celebrated our graduates. And uh, for all those that put sweat equity and time and prayers into getting those folks graduated from whatever level they were at. Last week, we celebrated those who gave their lives so we could enjoy the freedoms that we have here in this country. And uh, today we are celebrating the volunteers. Uh, and, and it is amazing. There were four slides of volunteers for this congregation. And the, the print point was about point, you know, eight. So just to get everybody on the screen. And if you if, if you are, serve on a committee, if you uh, teach at Vacation Bible School, if you um, serve using any gifts or talents, you plant flowers, if you elder, deacon, uh, if, you, if you're part of the prayer team, would you stand? We just want to celebrate you. If you volunteer in any way in this place or out of this place, please stand. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, many of you. And you that are sitting, you should be standing because there's things that you do and to serve this church. So we are grateful. How about, can we? You all get the bigger pieces of cake out there. If we ever make it to gem time today, you will get the bigger pieces of cake. And, and this is a time where we're welcoming back uh, folks who have gone away to school as they come back to... Uh, uh, to be with family this summer between semesters, and we want to welcome you back. Our text this morning is about a time where Jesus went away and has returned home. And uh, it, uh, it goes like this in Matthew chapter um, 9, verses 1 and 2. In getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought them a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you were to see this, read this for the first time, there would be a huge disconnect as you read those, that little beginning of this story. Some folks brought somebody sick to Jesus and all Jesus does is say, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't seem to connect, to make sense. Well, we're in a series called Come and See. We, we want to invite folks to come and as we look at Jesus Christ, at his life, at what he did, come and see and discover something that you might go and tell someone else. Come and see so that you might go and tell. And we're looking at the gospel according to Matthew. And uh, I hope this day 
that there's something that you hear in this place that you can't wait to tell someone else. And to prepare our hearts for that, join me in a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us and takes words that are written on a page and writes them on our hearts in such a way that we're changed to be more like you. And I, I would pray if there's anything in our schedule and our thoughts, anything weighing heavy on us that would hinder us hearing you, I, I pray that we could set that aside. For we've come to see Jesus, to be taught by Jesus, to leave here more like Jesus. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, it's interesting because we are looking at the gospel of Matthew, but if you uh, have been clued in, the texts that we are reading from come from some of the other gospels because Matthew says it in a way that other gospels, um, well, he says it, and, and the other gospels kind of pick up things that you might miss in Matthew's writing. And a lot of these uh, places we're looking at are in the synoptic gospels, the three that are similar, that's why they're called synoptic, um, Mark, Matthew, and, and Luke. We're looking this morning, um, uh, Mark is going to help us with this because he had a little bit of a vested interest. When Jesus comes home to Capernaum, the thought scholars has is that he's coming to Peter's house, that that's where his base of operation was. And we understand that Mark is writing the gospel kind of with Peter telling him the story. So since this all possibly happened at Peter's home, he has more insight than the others to what was going on. So hear it from the lips of Mark, I believe, from the heart of Peter. Mark 2, verses 1 to 3. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Now, I love the fact that as you look at the scriptures, there's an amazing thing that happens. Jesus attracted crowds. Jesus was somebody people wanted to be around and near. So much in our culture, we downplay Jesus publicly because it, it can not, well, it can, it can make relationships and things difficult. And sometimes we in the church can, can be a little bit embarrassed about Jesus or we, we treat him more in conversations as an afterthought. But in the scriptures, people flock to him. They couldn't wait to be around him. And this particular time, some came to him with a specific mission. And I love this story. It says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, it appears that there's four men on a mission to get there a person. We don't know the relationship that the paralytic had. We don't know how bad the paralysis was. Was it just his legs? Was he a quadriplegic? We don't know. But I think from the text, we can say that he was a really, really 
good-looking big guy. <laughs> now you would say, how do you know that? Well, I've seen lots of people carried by two. To be carried by four, you have to be really good-looking. And uh, so they were on this mission to get this person before Christ. And if you, if you picture, you would have to picture what would make sense is there would be one on each of the four corners. And, and so they were working as a team. And again, we don't know that the paralytic was willing I mean, if you're paralyzed, you're going to go where four guys take you no matter what. And it seems like this was not his vacation mat or, you know, his Sunday best mat. This was the mat that he lied on because he could do no other. And they picked up the four corners and they had to get him to Jesus. But there were some obstacles in the way. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, this is like you can read this and go, oh, well, that's nice. You know, but think about it. Four guys carrying a very good looking person before Jesus and there's so many people, they can't get in the front door, they can't get in the side door, they can't get in the window. And so, are they discouraged? No. But how did that conversation go? Well, we'll have to try tomorrow at the early service or tomorrow at the late service. I hear maybe not as many people show up. And one guy goes, no, no, we, we're here. We got to get him before Jesus. But you can't get him before Jesus. Well, what, what about the roof? Well, what, what good does it do to get him on a roof? And there were the, the houses of the day had side steps with a flat roof so that you could, in the cool of the evening, be up there. And uh, they get up there, and there's no skylight. And so they say, well, now what are we going to do? And somebody, can you imagine, says, well, let's just dig through the roof. I mean, really? We're going to dig through somebody else's roof? How intent, how persistent do you have to be? And, and, the, and the Greek word for, uh, as they took away the tile, there's an aggressiveness. It is, they tore through the roof. Now, how do you tear through a roof? Jesus is teaching, and most pastors do not like interruptions. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but most pastors... No, but this is going to be an interruption. There is, you know, noise on the roof. And so everybody's looking up, wondering what in the world is happening. And suddenly a hole and maybe a finger kind of digging through and a bomb sight. Ah, we missed him. And then over to the other part of the roof and dig in a bomb sight. And I don't know, uh, five feet. So there may be several holes in this roof, in Peter's roof. Now, I think, I think what Jesus needed that day was Bethel. You see, we needed some ushers. He needed ushers to, to form a path to get this guy 
before Jesus, needed deacons to care for them as they went through the process. They needed fellowship because you got to feed them. They needed um, student ministry because they may have brought their kids, children's ministry. They, um, they needed certainly a property team to figure out how to fix the roof. They needed stewardship to pay for the roof. But there was a choir, and as Jesus is teaching and the roof is coming down, maybe the choir is singing, he makes a way where there seems to be no way. Or the contemporary way maker. There needs to be administration and support to help people to get to their camels after it's over. Here's what, here's what I want you to see. These guys went through all this trouble to get one person before Jesus. Think about that. They were persistent. They were determined. Nothing was going to stop them from getting their friend before Jesus. Now, I brought this box of crayon, and, and, and it was actually prayed about in the, when we were praying. We all like this box of crayons. Remember first day of school, you got the little eight pack. Look at this, 64 different colors. All unique, all different. It's the church. It's you and me. We have different gifts. And God uses our different gifts so that people hear and get to know Jesus Christ. I think about those four who had one thing on their mind. How do we get our friend? How do we use our gifts, our knowledge, our talents, our abilities to do one thing? Get our friend before Jesus. That's what we celebrate with our volunteers. We, we love our volunteers, but we volunteer together, we work together so that people get before Jesus Christ. And, and they think they've done it. They, they, they think it's, it's there. That, and if you can imagine, you know, how do you lower a good-looking guy down before Jesus? And, and, and he's paralyzed, can't do anything. Jesus is teaching. And, and so they had to take off their belts. They, I mean, you don't come with rope thinking, I'm going to dig through a roof. I mean, you, you do whatever you can to get them before Jesus. And they do it. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, this, this is a very endearing term. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the four had to be stunned. No, sins paralyzed. Paralyzed. Look at the legs. Jesus, you missed it. Paralyzed people can't sin that much. They have nowhere to go. 
They brought him because they thought his need was physical. And Jesus says there's a deeper need than being okay physically. But they weren't the only stunned group. There were religious leaders off to the side checking Jesus out. They were stunned by his boldness, by his blasphemy. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, for those who read the Bible and say Jesus never claimed to be God, you just take them to this text because only God can forgive sins and Jesus is claiming that he can do that. He's pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, which is something only God can do. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they thus question within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your mat, your bed, and walk? So I would ask you, which do you think is easier for Jesus to do? Heal a paralytic or forgive sins? Now, if you know your Bible at all, you would know that Jesus is the word of God and he is the agent of creation. By God's word, by Jesus, creation was brought into existence by a mere word. So certainly it would be easier for Jesus to speak healing to a broken body out of the chaos of a dark uncreated world he brought order because to forgive sins was going to cost him his life. He could heal with a word, but to forgive sin, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, sins cannot be forgiven. This could be done with a word this would be done with a crucifixion and a death. Jesus is saying it's much easier to heal the outside than to deal with the paralysis on the inside. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, I think he was stunned. The paralytic. I mean, if you've been paralyzed for any length of time, your muscles have atrophied. You've not walked in a long time, but he jumps up. Not only does he walk out, he walks out carrying his mat and went out before them so that all were stunned and amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus will stun you. All of us who think we have him in a box, 
He will always surprise us, always stun us, because he is bigger than we can imagine. To show that I can heal the inside, I will heal for you the outside. Now, here's the stunner for me. Don't miss this. Jesus healed this man because of the faith of those who brought the paralytic, not the faith of the paralytic. He saw their faith. Now, how does Jesus see their faith? You can't see faith, but you can see the result of faith, which was their determination, their work to get this one before Jesus. Your faith matters in the kingdom of God. Your faith for the heart of your children, your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your faith matters. Not your faith in just Jesus, but your faith that Jesus can do for them what nobody else can do. I, it's an amazing thing. The faith of this church to change lives over the years of folks who were drugged here by others, where there were heel marks all the way from the car into the sanctuary. But you brought them, you prayed for them, and God honored that. And I don't want to stop because the story doesn't stop here. You know, I love as you go on. Don't end the story here because it goes on in this chapter. Mark, as Jesus passed from there, he came and saw a man called Matthew. Hello, underline Matthew, who's telling us part of the story, sitting at a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And don't miss this. He rose and followed him. Why is this right next to that story? Because Matthew, the tax collector, is paralyzed. Now, sure, he could walk. But as a tax collector, he was an outcast in his nation. He was a Jewish man working for the Roman authorities, cheating everyone on their taxes. He was an outcast. He was paralyzed by his own success. And he had nobody to bring him to Jesus. Nobody cared enough about Matthew to bring him to Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He goes to Matthew. And he says, follow me. And this paralyzed one, socially, emotionally, spiritually, 
rose up and followed him. And what does Matthew do? Matthew takes Jesus to his house that night for a party with all the other paralyzed tax collectors. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but I came for sinners. I came to heal those who are paralyzed from the inside out. Here's what the takeaway is. Here's what the go and tell is. There's something more important than having everything right on the outside. There's something more important than having a body like Ken or Barbie as I grew up. There's something more important than having the right house or living on the right street or the right 401k or the right this or the right that. There's something more important. Jesus came to heal us, to give us life from the inside out. He came to heal us from our sins and failings that paralyze us, from our brokenness that would cause some to pick up a gun and shoot up an elementary school. And for others who don't do it with bullets, but do it with words. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he is the answer. And we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us and emboldens us with the answer. And it takes a church, it takes all of us using our gifts and talents and abilities. One, we've got to care about those who aren't in here. Two, we have to believe and know that Jesus makes a difference. Three, we have to know that the biggest problem folks have is not what's happening to their bodies, but the sin problem in our bodies. We need to be bold enough not to let obstacles get in the way. Our cancel culture, what others might think, our reputations. We must work together and be the church that God has called us to be on this corner so that those who are paralyzed from the inside out might be whole because we believe God can make a difference. And Jesus' death was for them. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father,
I thank you for the church. I thank you for this church. I thank you that you didn't bring us to you by just a word, but you were willing to pay the price to give your life that we might have life. And as we come now to this table, a table that we will celebrate with you one day in heaven, a table now that is a foreshadowing of what is to come, a table that is a reminder of what it cost you to heal us that we might have life. In these simple elements, Lord, speak to us of eternal things. Help us to see your love, to know your presence and your healing touch. And we thank you for those that brought us before you, that we might know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night he was betrayed, he, he took a simple loaf of bread. He was the bread of life. And as you take those cups, there is a piece of bread on the top. And we're going to share with each other the words of institution. This is my body, and it's broken for you. It wasn't a nice breaking. It was a crucifixion. It was a painful death. He took our place. He took the penalty. He broke his body so ours would be made whole. At the meal, he then took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant and it's in my blood. For without the shedding of blood, sins cannot be forgiven. And my blood is shed. My innocent blood is shed for the forgiveness of all of your sins. My broken body, my shed blood is enough. You are forgiven by faith in Jesus' death on the cross. Would you turn to each other and remind each other the body of Christ is broken for you and the blood of Christ is shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Pray with me. Lord, in these simple elements is an eternal truth and an eternal promise that you came not that our outside would be temporarily healed, but that our inside would be forever forgiven through your shed blood on the cross. I thank you for this gathering of your people. I thank you for the way that you have blessed them and they have blessed each other, this community, and blessed me. Lord, embolden us. Help us to see that people need the Lord. And we can be part of connecting you with them and them with you. In Jesus' name, amen.